Okay, unlike weeks past, uh, today I'm going to start our time together by just opening up the, the word and, and, uh, and showing you the hard saying that I have today in our hard sayings of the Bible series. And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it, and then let's just have a little discussion about it. Let's see what your impressions are about it and how it uh, uh, jumps off the page to you or doesn't jump off the page. Uh, let's see how uh, you react and respond to it. Again, this is from 2 Corinthians 12 and following, and it says this, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which, may, uh, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. Um, for I would be speaking to the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So there you go. How many of you have, have heard this passage before? Yeah, most of you? Okay. Yeah, and how many of you, if someone were to ask you what Paul is talking, what's Paul talking about here? How many of you think you could explain what's being said here pretty clearly? It's okay. I'm not going to call on you, especially. It's, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? When the first time you read that, you think, uh, uh, if someone were to press me on that and say, what is he talking about here? Uh, it might be difficult to articulate what's happening here. But again, as I say every week, what's, what's, what's the key to understanding verses like this? Context. Yeah, I'm glad. Something's stuck. That's good. That's good to hear. And this one's a doozy for sure. And again, one more time, context is so important. So again, what we have to do, let's back up some to see what's leading into this. And what you're going to see is, is, a, is a, a, a form of sorts. Or Paul talks about boasting and how it's not good to boast. And then, and then he starts boasting. And then after that, he says, what's the result of boasting? And then he talks about weaknesses. Uh, and it ultimately is where the Christian should boast. So I just gave away the whole thing right there. But, he, but, uh, but let's, let's keep going anyway. I remember as, as I was a, when I was a child, it used to irritate me so much when one of my parents would, would say a certain phrase that, I, that I'm sure I told myself, one of my parents is here today. As a matter of fact, my mom is here today. So I meant to check these to make sure. I didn't know she was going to be here. She just surprised me. And, uh, and so congratulations, you made it into the lesson. Once again. Uh, I feel bad for my family sometimes because uh, they are the subject of all my anecdotes, it seems. But I, it seemed like a, such an unreasonable phrase that uh, my parents used to utter. And I don't know why anyone would choose to be un unreasonable. Therefore, I was certain that I would never utter the phrase because I am a reasonable person. And the phrase to which I refer is the phrase, because I said so, right? 
Uh, do you recall ever having been told this as a child that your parents would just say, why? Because I said so, right? Now, why, why would, would someone uh, say something like that? Mom, could I stay out a little longer? And she replies, no, you may not. And I would say, why not? And then she would say, because I said so, right? In other words, shut it down. This isn't open for discussion. And now that I'm a parent, right? I am still a reasonable person. Uh, just like I believe back in the day when my kids ask me, why not? Do you think I ever tell them because I said so? All the time, all the time. With no uncertainty, let me just say, I say it all the time. And I can hear my 12-year-old self yelling at me of deep acts of treason that I say this. But, but, but I do say it. Now, let me ask you, why do I say it? What, what is, the, uh, what is the, the reasoning behind why I might say, because I said so? What's at the underlying root? Trudy? I'm the person in authority. And so what am I teaching my kids about authority? T to respect it, uh, to listen to it, right? Because ultimately, why? What is, what is good about authority? It protects you. It's a protection, okay? It is a protection. Uh, and and let, me, let, me, let me be honest with you. Sometimes, all too often, uh, when I tell my kids, because I said so, I do have this rationale behind because I said so that also includes because who has the energy to explain it, right? I don't want to debate about it, right? I just want my kids to do what I'm asking them to do. Just do it. Now, as lazy as that sounds, is that it's, it's not always a bad thing. It's not because I, I teach my kids to do what they're asked to do without question or hesitation, not, not because I'm just trying to control them, because I'm trying to teach them something about respect. All right? I want them to respect me and their mother. I'm trying to teach them about authority and that authority is something good that can provide a means of protection to you, all right? And there is a time and, and place to question it, and it's okay to do that, but sometimes I want to tell them, but now's not the right time, right? Now, again, so in, in so far as it being a lazy response, it's not always a lazy response. There is meaning and fruit behind it, okay? Despite how you feel in the moment, it's not a lazy response because there's valuable lessons to be learned in that moment. Again, I, I don't mind that they question me, uh, but again, it, it's, it's the idea that, uh, for example, if, if I've asked my kids now three times, get in the shower, get in the shower, and the fourth time they say, but dad, I showered three days ago. I'm raising boys. Uh, that is not that I don't want to discuss it at that point, right? I just want, I've already asked you enough times, you just need to go do what I said. Oh, Dean, yes, you have a... I, I, I learned to say, this isn't a this is not a negotiation. Yeah, this is not a negotiation. It works just as well. Okay, but again, when I say because I said so, I mean, I'm pulling rank on them at this point. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a discussion. This is not a negotiation. I'm pulling rank because I'm your father and, and, and you need to listen to me. I'm done playing. Do what I tell you to do. I've pulled rank on them and it tends to work. Okay. Now in the passage that we're looking at today, uh, Paul almost gives the impression that, that he is even stumbling over himself a little bit. It's kind of clumsy, the way that uh, he's, he's articulating all this. He almost seems a bit frantic um, or exasperated. Maybe like the, the fourth time I'm asking my kids to get into the shower. Just get in the shower already, okay? Uh, it, this is what we're getting here. We're, we're almost getting sort of this, uh, he's pulling rank on the, on the church at Corinth, and it's the ultimate because I said so response. So, so the church at Corinth, this was a church that Paul planted, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 18. And a few years after leaving the church, 
the apostle began hearing some disturbing reports about the church. They were full of pride and they were excusing all kinds of behavior, sexual immorality, spiritual gifts were, were being used improperly. And there was this, this rampant understanding of misuse of important doctrines, in, in, including uh, the practice of, of, uh, of the Lord's Supper. And believe it or not, Paul actually wrote four different letters to this church, four different letters to the church at Corinth. We only have two but he makes reference to the other ones in, in, uh, in his other letters in first and second Corinthians. So what we have really is the second and fourth letters uh, uh, to the church at Corinth, but he had a lot to say because this was a, a church that had gone bananas. Okay. They were doing all kinds of things. Now, one of the major themes that Paul addresses in his letter to the Corinthians is the issue of authority. He's talking about authority here. And in particular, he's addressing questions of his authority. Okay. There were, there were these, uh, what Paul calls super apostles, and which that sounds funny to me because I picture a cape with a, hey, you know, like a superhero, a term. But again, he's probably using it uh, with, a, with a tone of sarcasm to it. Super apostles. These super apostles that, that uh, these super apostles uh, question what Paul's authority uh, that he had. And was he really an apostle himself? Uh, because they were doing um, uh, all kinds of things that were causing problems to this young church. And, and uh, these, these super apostles were saying, you need to listen to us, not Paul, okay? So in chapter 11, we were just in 12, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul begins to, in a somewhat clumsy manner, trip over himself, all right? You know, again, when I, when I get so flustered with my kids that I just want them to, to do what I'm asking them to do, Paul made it clear, particularly in Romans, that he's not a fan of boasting, which is what is so funny about this, this passage that we're looking at today. Paul is not a fan of boasting. He speaks uh, badly about boasting, and uh, he says something similar in Ephesians too. Yet then Paul goes on this rant in 2 Corinthians because these super apostles were pretty good at boasting about themselves. They loved to boast about themselves and, and brag and, and all, all the ways that they were these super apostles, okay? Trying to lift up their own credentials. And then Paul just unloads on them. He unloads on them. And, uh, and so I want to point out a few highlights here before we get to, back to our main passage. Let's look at some of these, uh, these things that he's saying leading up to it. This is 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen and following. And keep these super apostles in mind. Keep these super apostles that he's ultimately addressing uh, in the back of your mind as he writes this. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool. Again, see, he seems kind of frantic, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Okay, so he's saying, if I'm going to boast, listen how foolish this sounds. Okay, it's almost like he's stooping down to their level. He's calling himself for a fool to talk like the way that fools talk. If this is how you want to talk, let's do it. Let's do it. So he's kind of losing his mind a little bit. And so someone's going, okay, you want to do this? Let's do this. Come on, let's go. And then in verse 18, he goes on. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs that's being confident, you know, overconfident, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Once again, Paul is being sarcastic here, saying that he, oh, you think I'm too weak? You think I'm too weak to act uh, uh, like the way his opponents act? Because his opponents would try and question Paul's authority because the fact that he suffered too much. He suffered too much. Uh, you know, Tracy and I are, uh, we're watching this, uh, I don't even want to say the name, but it was a documentary on a cult that originated, sort of had its roots here in town. And one of the, you know which one I'm talking about, right? 
And one of the main tenets of this, uh, of this cult was that uh, if you're suffering in some manner, if you're suffering in some manner, it's because there must be some sin in your life, okay? And again, it's not, we can sin and cause pain in our own lives. But again, if someone, say, has cancer, it's not, you're, Jesus answered this himself, okay? Who sinned? He or his parents? Neither. That, the, that God may be glorified was, was Jesus' response. But again, even Paul is addressing this here. He's, you think, oh, because I've suffered. You think because I've suffered that that's why uh, that, uh, that I can't boast. You think that's why I'm not a, a, a trustworthy apostle. And so he goes to directly respond to that notion that he suffered too much to be filled with the spirit. And so he goes on, second half of verse 21 and, and following. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking of a fool, I also dare to boast that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. <laughs> I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. And he continues, you want, you want to hear boasting? You want to hear boasting? Let me show you boasting. You want to see credentials? I'll show you credentials. And, and, and the ultimate point he makes is that in his weakness... As a result of him being called to suffer for Christ, in weakness and suffering, God triumphs. This is where he's going with all this. It's almost like I can boast all day long if you want to do that. But listen, in my suffering, this is where Christ triumphs. Okay? And then as we turn the page now, you go turn the page to 2 Corinthians 12. So that was the setup. That was the setup to, the, to our, our, our hard saying. We encounter these puzzling verses, which again are only puzzling if you don't have context for everything that came right before that and how he's almost mocking this idea of boasting, okay? And so I, I, I put, them all, put them all back up here. I think I have all the first six verses crammed up on here. Uh, we'll, we'll leave them up here for reference. And, uh, and when he talks about, again, I just love the way he's phrased this because all of a sudden he starts talking about, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Let's first of all ask, who do you think the man is that he's talking about? himself? Anyone else? He does later reveal it, that he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself here, okay? When Paul says, I know a man in Christ, uh, he's talking about himself. And from a context standpoint, first of all, it makes sense, because before this, he was talking about himself. And he says, I once know a man. And then after this, he's talking about himself, okay? So why is he talking about himself in the third person? Okay. Normally, when someone talks about themselves in the third person, it's it's a it's a little annoying. Lyric hates it when people do that. It's so obnoxious. <laughs> Let's see if we can figure out why he's doing it, though. All right. Remember, we've already just established the fact. Paul really does not like boasting. Paul doesn't like boasting. And now he's pulling the ultimate trump card here. His detractors are suggesting that Paul wasn't of good authority because he didn't have the visions and dreams like they did. And, and now Paul is, is pulling ultimate authority on them. You want to talk about dreams? You want to talk about visions? Again, you have to realize that Paul's primary thesis on boasting is what? If, if there's going to be boasting, let us boast in, in the Lord. Not in your own things. Not in the things that you can do. Not in the things that serve your purposes. Let's boast in the Lord. And so back to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, uh, 
uh, that, yeah, back in first Corinthians, first chapter, verse 31, he says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's his thesis. Okay. So, so do you hear how it might come across as a little disingenuous if he were, if he were to say, I was once caught up in the third heaven. He's just now at that point. Now he's just trying to match, you know, uh, a claim for claim or any one playing one up. Okay. He softened it a little bit you know, by talking about himself indirectly. And you have to realize that Paul is not boasting about himself for the sake of himself. He's doing this for their benefit and ultimately for the glory of God. And so he goes on to say, he's explaining this vision that he's not doing it from a place of competition. He's not saying, oh yeah, well, I had a bigger revelation. All right. Uh, he's, he's not trying to one-up them. He's not saying that at all. He's, very, he's being coy about it. You know, why is he doing that? And, and then he actually gives us a hint in verse six. Still have it up there? Yeah, in verse six. It's really interesting. He says, the reason I refrain, the reason I hold back a little bit, the reason I soften this a little bit, is because I want no one to think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. This is what boasting does. Boasting puts the spotlight on you. And he's trying to emphasize the fact that, that that's, that's not the way of the Lord. Uh, when a person starts to talk about experiences, experiences of God and how he has revealed himself to them, they're automatically claiming authority for themselves. And you may or may not have experienced this before, but have you ever been in a situation where a person says, God told me that you should fill in the blank, or God told me that I should go, what are they doing in that moment? They're, they're claiming an authority, a position of authority that you can't possibly argue with. Because if God said it, where does that leave any of us? We can't say, oh yeah, well, how does God know? Duh, right? And so, so it, it's, it's like uh, you're, you're saying, I have authority because of my experiences. Okay, you hear this a lot in culture. Uh, everyone is a scientist nowadays. Okay, everyone, everyone claims to have science on their sides, but, but listen to how this can be a fallacy, all right? I am a mathematician. So hear me when I say two plus two equals five. Okay, in other words, yes, you may have received a degree in mathematics, but you still can be wrong. It's still possible to be wrong in spite of whatever experiences you've had. And, and I used to work for a publishing uh, company. And, uh, and back then I, I, uh, I was over making, overseeing a lot of things as it relates to the, the bookmaking process. Uh, everything from the content and from the way the, the cover was presented and to a, all the artistic elements of it. And I remember this one time in particular, I was dealing with an author and, and we wanted to show him the, uh, I didn't even want to reveal the, the gender of the person, but I just said it. You don't know the author anyway. They're a nobody because uh, <laughs> they didn't listen. <laughs> but on the inside, on the inside, if you have a hardcover book, on the inside of that uh, hardcover book is what's what they call end sheets. It's like a hard page that, that covers the inside of the hardback and it extends over to the, and sometimes you can be really artistic with that and use a really nice, uh, fancy looking uh, uh, end sheet. Uh, really thick stock paper and, and, uh, and you make it a different color and everything. And so I was showing the author, I said, okay, this is what we've chosen for your end sheets. And the author said, oh, uh, I like that, but uh, could you change the color to a blue tone? The Holy Spirit told me right now, blue is an important color for my life right now. And I want to say, the Lord likes our color. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that because blue still work with the overall design. It's like, all right, I'm not going to, I'm going to pick the battles that I want to, to, to have here. But again, 
you, you, you can see how a statement like that can be interpreted as a claim of authority for self, not for God's sake, but because, because blue is doing something in my life, right? My life, right? Now, don't argue with me because God said that I should use blue. What recourse do I have, right? Now, here's what's different about what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying, let me show you the validity of my apostleship, that I'm an apostle, that I'm a mouthpiece of God, that, that you showing you that, that my revelations are different. What these other guys are describing bear a different experience than what I've had. It's, it's not in accord with the gospel. He says, you're forcing me to tell you about whether or not I've had visions and revelations. Well, well let me tell you about them. You want to know about them? I'll tell you about them. And so he very dramatically goes into detail what, what the, the revelation of an apostle really looks like. In other words, he says, I've had experiences of God, and, and, it, and it should show in my character. Uh, you, you should be listening to me because you look at my life and you say, this man must have met God because of, of the cogency of what I say, because of the truth of what I say, because, because of, uh, of who I am. That's the authority that, that, that where the authority should come from, not because what I claim to have experienced. You know, this is what he's saying in verse six when he says, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. You see, if you want to talk about visions, yeah, great. We can do that. And it's like Paul saying, we can talk about that, but you're going to lose. You're going to lose that argument. You should be most concerned about what you see in me or, or what you hear from me. Okay. Does that make sense? You see where he's trying to disarm that? It's not about the experience. Take me for my words. Take me for my actions here and, and, and what I'm doing. Uh, don't just say, oh, he experienced this. Therefore, he's a super apostle. Okay. Does that make sense? Good. All right. And then he starts talking about being caught up into the third heaven. And some of you may be thinking, wait a minute. Uh, are there levels of heaven I didn't know about? And again, this is actually a pretty easy explanation, uh, very simply. It's a common expression back then. The third heaven refers to what you and I might simply call heaven, okay? So the first heaven, that's where the birds hang out. That's in the sky, right? The second heaven is where we see the stars and the sun and the moon. So not like the, what we would call outer space. And the third heaven is, well, that's just heaven. Okay, so don't be, don't let that, that throw you off. Uh, again, that's the dwelling place of the Father, so to speak. And it's believed that when Paul is talking about, I once knew a man, really talking about himself. Again, he, 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 he uh, reveals that in a little bit. Uh, it's believed that Paul's referring to the years that passed after Paul was converted, that he was tutored and discipled by the Lord himself for a few years worth of time. Wouldn't you have loved to sit in on that, 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 uh, uh, those lectures? And then comes the ultimate payoff. This is where Paul is going with all this. In verse seven, he says this. So to keep me, again, remember the arc of everything. Boasting, you know, he disarms boasting, and then he brings it back down to humility, a position of humility, that this is where the Lord works, in a place of humility. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Again, I could, I could brag about revelations all day long. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. See that? He spills the beans. You know, he, reveals, he reveals the fact it's me. Talk about me. And, and like his detractors, he, he could have come, become conceited about having these experiences, these revelations. And that's why he sets it up. Okay. In spite of this, despite this, 
a thorn was given me in the flesh. If you want to, you want to define what a super apostle is, and if that's your criteria, look, but then the Lord gave me this, a thorn in the flesh to harass me. All right. Oh my, what is this? What is this thorn in the flesh? Uh, and uh, suddenly we're, we're not interested as to whether or not this is Paul. It's great. This is Paul. He told us himself, but, but what's this thorn? What's this thorn he's talking about? And I know you've probably heard theories about this. He says, three times I've pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. What do, you, what do you suppose this thorn in the flesh is? If you had to throw a guess out there, what, what is he talking about when he speaks of the thorn in the flesh? Any ideas? Sharon? Some sort of physical malady, okay? Because yes, even at the end of Galatians, he talks about, I'm, I think it's in the end of Galatians, I'm writing this with my own hand. And, he, and the, presumably he was writing big because again, he had eyesight problems or some sort of physical uh, uh, hamper, hampering that prevented him from perhaps being the, uh, uh, the traveler that he could travel. Maybe it somehow held him back. So yeah, maybe a physical malady of some sorts. Anyone else? Is it possible that it was a sin? That is another one of the possibilities that people generally try and throw out and say, uh, perhaps he was struggling with some sort of besetting sin. Okay, anyone else? Any other thoughts? There's generally three, and you've already, you've already touched on, on two of them. First, we'll, we'll talk about the sin thing because uh, I, I, people like to use this one a lot. And, uh, and to, get, to be honest, I like the idea too. I like the idea that, that Paul struggled with sin too. He identified himself as the chief of sinners, right? Uh, and there's something that, that brings it all back to, hey, if, they, if, if an apostle struggled with sin, then maybe it's not such a big, I don't say big deal. Uh, maybe it's not so abnormal for any of us to struggle with sin. You will struggle with sin. There remains a, a, an indwelling measure of sin that you still will struggle with for the rest of your life. And if, if Paul, if that's what Paul is talking about, man, suddenly that, uh, that, that provides some sort of consolation and you can see how it can fit into context. Hey, look, God speaks to me in ways that are extraordinary, in ways that, that in no doubt he hasn't spoken to most. And then he tells us whatever this thorn in the flesh is, is the very thing that keeps from allowing his, his head to swell up. Okay, so it fits in that regard. What a better equalizer than to say, settle down, you're not as great as you think you are, right? Uh, these revelations don't come to you because of your greatness. They come to you in spite of your lack of greatness. You're, you're beset with sin. So, so could it be sin? Perhaps. But believe it or not, a lot, a lot of commentators won't agree on it. Won't agree on that. You know why? Because of the idea that I prayed three times for this, we'll say sin, to be removed. If this was some sort of ongoing struggle, you would expect that maybe he would pray more than three times. If you've ever, if you've ever struggled with one particular sin, you know, it's, it's something that, that you, you have to pray for over and over and over and over again. You know what? I'm going to mark a day uh, three months from now that I'm going to pray for this thing that I'm struggling with. And that'll mark the third time that I do it. And Lord, I hope you have the patience for that. It's a little ridiculous almost when you think of it that way. So, uh, so people tend to down talk that one. Although again, you, you can't dismiss that he did struggle with sin. He says himself, 1 Timothy uh, uh, 1.15, uh, he called himself the chief of sinners Okay, but then uh, what else could it be the, a detractor? Another theory that we didn't talk about, some, someone mentioned the physical malady, Sharon did, but it could also be a, a detractor of sorts. Perhaps these super apostles themselves are the thorn in the flesh. Uh, have you ever had a coworker or a neighbor or some sort of acquaintance? Maybe it's some sort of a, a friend of one of your children, whereby you thought, you know, life would be better if they just weren't around. 
and I don't mean killing them off. I just mean if they went away, if they just weren't around, it seems like things would be better. My uh, in-laws once had a neighbor, uh, and again, they, they lived back in the woods uh, in, uh, in North Carolina, and your nearest neighbor was acres away, but he was, such a, he was such a troublemaker, and he gave him such a hard time that we were praying, please, God, take him away. Any way you see fit, <laughs> just take him away. And, and we rejoiced when we rejoiced when that uh, he didn't die, he moved. He sold his property and he moved, okay? But again, Paul, you have to think about Paul dealt with all kinds of people that came in the name of the Lord. They came in the name of the Lord and wreaked havoc. In fact, again, this is what a lot of uh, Galatians is about. Uh, Paul, and then Paul confronts the apostle Peter and had to set him straight. Paul, you might say, was, was very opinionated. I don't know what his Enneagram number was, but it was the confrontational one, okay? Uh, that's him. So, so it's not a stretch to think that Paul had a person or a group of people that somehow, some way troubled him. And I really like this, this, uh, this theory. Uh, just, just when you think you're making good gospel progress, along comes fill in the blank. And you really start, again, the more I work in ministry, the more I realize ah, I can identify with this. Because you know why? We, we, we deal with sinners day in and day out. And, and, and sometimes... They, they just get the better of you, it feels like. It's, Lord, please, please deliver me from this, this thorn in the flesh. Uh, deliver it from me. I wish you would just take it away from me. Otherwise, things would work great if not for this person, okay? Uh, but again, I'll, I'll circle back to that in a second on, on how, uh, how Paul's response to that is. But again, it also was suggested that uh, perhaps it's a physical malady of sorts. Again, talking about uh, his remarks in Galatians. Uh, so maybe it was something that, that prevented him from getting around like he seemed like he wanted to do. But again, you have to put it in context. Lord, if you just took away this physical malady from me, I could make so much, so much, I could do so much good for you. And again, what does that do? That brings Paul back to, to a point that says, listen, it's not you, it's me. Despite what you think you're suffering with, that's preventing the gospel from going forward. Remember, remember it's in my hands, okay? I do these things, not you. Yeah, did you have a question, Dave? Yeah, you know, just thinking about the, the laundry list of uh, eatings and drinkings and sowings and things. Lingering. Yeah. All the things that he just detailed, you know, how many times he was beat within an inch of his life, shipwrecked. Uh, and again, it's not an un unthinkable uh, thought that, yeah, he had some kind of lingering effect of that injury, like a lingering injury from that. And so, Lord, remove it for me. I, I would really like for this limp to go away, either literal or, or metaphorical, okay? And then he says this, he says this in verse nine. This is where he brings it all back to a, a conclusion. Whatever, whatever the thorn might be, whatever it is, he says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. There is the crux of where he's been building, what he's been saying, what he's been leading up to. It's not boasting. It's not, not in these, these, these things that you, these experiences that you think are wonderful. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. You want to talk about visions? You want to talk about experiences? Great. But here's where I'm going to boast. In my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, there's no other religion in the world that claims this. Not a single one. 
Not a single religion, no other religion says, come to me in your weakness, not in your strength. Come to me in weakness. Come to me with an open and empty hand. And, 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 and it's when you come to him in this state, that's when his strength is made perfect. When you're at the end of yourself, that's when the Savior says, look to me. That's, that's when I come in. You see, Paul calls this thorn a messenger of Satan. And again, that sort, of, that sort of muddies the water a little bit. Because again, if, if this is something that, that God gave him, God, God could remove it, but he doesn't. He sees fit to, to, to leave it with him, yet he calls it a messenger of Satan. But here's what you have to remember. Who is it that's sovereign of the universe? It's God. God is sovereign of the universe. Why did Paul pray to God that his thorn be removed? Because he believed that God had the power to remove it. And he could remove it any time he want. Yet it remained. God sovereignly allowed the thorn to remain, yet Paul calls it a messenger of Satan. You know, is that, a, uh, is that a contradiction? Is that a breakdown? Again, Paul says it's a, a messenger of Satan. And this means, and I heard once someone uh, compare it to um, an email attachment. Don't you love email attachments? You can attach a document to your email uh, you just attach it to your message, and there it goes. It accompanies your message. You have a message, and then you have this thing that attaches to it that accompanies your message. Satan attaches a message to the thorn, and the thing that discourages you is not the thorn itself, but the message that goes along with it. Satan wants you to get one message from the thorn, but Paul is saying, when I prayed to God, I saw God had his own message with it. You have to look at the problem that comes into your life and you have to say, there's a message from Satan in this and there's a message from God in it. My discouragement or my strengthening will depend on which message I listen to. So whatever your malady, whatever your sin, whatever your detractor, you have two ways of looking at it. The sovereign of the universe could take it away from you at any time he wants but he decides to leave it for what purpose? For what purpose? Is it, is it to bring you down? Is it to bring you low? Is it to discourage you? Or is it somehow, some way to strengthen you, to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, who in his greatest moment of suffering most glorified the Father? So what's the message that you're attaching to whatever thorn you might have? Satan's message is you're defeated, you're powerless. God's message says when you are weak, then you're strong. When you're at the end of yourself, then you have nowhere to, to rely on your own ability, your own boasting, your own experiences. You only can rely on mine. That's the message that goes along with a thorn. And again, this is the backward nature of what we believe. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Strength through weakness. The battle against sin was won because of the death of a perfectly righteous being. Victory through death. And once again, we, we've said this time and time again, what is God's chief purpose in you? To make you like his son. His, in, 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 uh, his son encountered victory through weakness. Victory through weakness. And you are walking in his footsteps. You're following his path. You're being formed and shaped and chiseled into his image. Thank God for our weaknesses. Any, any thoughts, comments, or questions that, uh, that you want to bring up as a result of reading all that? Someone, anyone? Comments? Observations? Yes, Marla.
I, I, I try not to make a lot of uh, numerology in an epistle, okay? So if, if we're reading a book like Daniel, if we're reading a book like Revelation, uh, then numbers can be symbolic of something. I think in this one, and I could be wrong, but I think in this one, I don't think Paul is trying to uh, make any sort of cultural reference. You know, three is generally thought of as a, as a perfect number. Uh, same with, you know, seven and other things. But I think what Paul really means here is that three times, three separate times, three separate instances, which is why, again, I would, I would hold to the fact that, uh, that this is a detractor of sorts. That again, he goes about his ministry and he keeps encountering perhaps this one super apostle, perhaps a group of super apostles. And by the third time, again, Lord, again, this is the third time. So I pray that you would remove him, Lord. So that's my thought on that. Mm -hmm. Dean. So is it, am I right that everything that's perfect is God? God is perfect. Correct. So yeah. Everything that is less than perfect uh -huh. is not God. Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. Fair to say. So, uh, anything, any thorn that we have, uh, you said is is an absence of God. Yeah. We can. We can. God cannot do evil. But uh, as Genesis. Uh, 5020 tells us, you know, when, when Joseph comes to the end of, of everything that he's been through with his brothers, he's been, you know, put into prison, he's been, he's been treated as a, uh, uh, a low life, a nothing, and then all the way back to becoming prince of Egypt, uh, he tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God made for good. And so what that tells us that is that even the evil that he does not create, God does not, is not the author of evil, uh, nor is he, again, this is something from the Westminster Confession that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass, okay? But yet how he uses it, how he utilizes it is ultimately for his good. So God even uses the pain, the sin, the suffering, all those things. It's, I once heard someone compare it to in that verse, uh, the idea of a, a carpet uh, weaving and that the, the language is, is uh, um, consistent with that, how a, a, carpet, a carpet would be weaved together. So he takes these things and he weaves it together in such a, a way that brings him glory, even though he's not the one who caused it. He's not the, the cause of evil. He's not the author of evil, nor is he offer violence to the will of the offender. Yet he still reweaves it for, the, for his glory and for his good. Someone else? Good questions. Love these questions. That gives you about six minutes to get to the worship service if you've not already been there. So thanks again. And once again, just a reminder next week, please, 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 please come back for, uh, for Doug. He's uh, such a uh, smart, intelligent guy, and he's going to give you uh, all kinds of good uh, information that you can use in your everyday life to defend the scriptures. So, so please be here for that. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the wonder of your word. Uh, we thank you that um, you've given us something to dig into and and uh, when we dig uh, we never come away without reward uh, what a what a wonderful thing that is thank you for giving this to us uh, father help us to take these things that we learn uh, and not just be glad that we know them but help us to to take them and, and put them to use uh, for the sake of your kingdom uh, for the sake of your son and for the sake of uh, of your gospel uh, make us your your instruments make us your instruments of peace uh, strength through weakness uh, help us to model that in everything we do and say 
pray this for the name in the name of your son and it's for his sake. Amen. Thank you all.